Marini's Media. Project Big Picture, the lifeline for EFL clubs, Hutton at Forest, Salford Ditch Alexander and Dale Vince chats carbon neutrality, wooden stadiums, massive attack and football. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, welcome in gang, Matt Davis-Adams here, ready to talk all things English Football League in the company of EFL goal centurion Sam Parkin. Hello Sam. Hello Matthew. Adrian Clark used to antagonise fullbacks. Now he analyses football. Howdy, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, MDA, all good. Thanks. <laughs> um, back for more after a much lauded debut last month from Talksport, Soccer Saturday, and more. It's Faye Carruthers. Hi, Faye. Hi, Matt. Good. Everybody's here. Uh, regular listeners will be aware we like to kick off with our performance of the weekend. Performance of the weekend. If you're new to it, we each get 15 seconds to make our case for which team we think had the best weekend in the EFL. Preston won the poll last weekend, so Emma Saunders takes the non-existent points. Uh, who should go first here, I wonder? Let's let Faye go first. Faye, you have picked Morecambe. 15 seconds to tell us why they were the performers of the weekend. 15 seconds starts now. Four wins in five now for Derek Adams' side as they move top of the League Two table. Three goals, which could have been more if it wasn't for Ian Lawler's first half performance in the Oldham goal. But he was replaced at half-time and the Shrimps netted twice more to replace Newport at the summit. Bring them sunshine. (laughs) That's a really strong start. Professional timing. (laughs) Adrian, suggest we, it, suggest we don't get Emma or Faye back on the podcast. I know, it's not good, is it? It puts Far the pressure good. on. Um, speaking of pressure, Adrian, not been good at this so far, let's be frank. Uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, just giving other people a chance, you know, I'm not okay. picking the obvious ones. But there you go. Yeah, That's I feel fine. like you've done that this week, actually. So it's going to be interesting to see if your pitch is enough to convince people to vote for Bristol Rovers. Your 15 seconds starts now. A total of 302 days after the Gasheads' last League One away win, Bristol Rovers only went and came back from 1-0 down to beat leaders, Lincoln, with a spirited and cohesive performance. As a winger, I also tip my hat to Josh Hare for his dreamy cross for the equaliser team. Good. Better. Um, Not quite face standard, but uh, Sam... (laughs) You are very magnanimously, I think, picking Ipswich Town. So you have 15 seconds to tell us why they should be the performance of the week. Commanding performance despite injuries to key players. Defensively sound. Goals are plenty. Special mentions the 35-year-old Luke Chambers playing at right back. Scored a brilliant goal. Gwion Edwards, four goals in five games for him from the left. Top of the league. Top scorers in the division. That is performance of the week. No doubt it. <laughs> uh, Are you looking at a pressure. clock then? I could see you <laughs> looking at looking over. <laughs> I'm reading my script. <laughs> as I'm sure you two were as well. Oh no, all off the cuff. <laughs> I'm going to read my script now. Um, I have chosen Crew Alexandra Abbey. Set the timer for 15 seconds and I will start now. So I could talk about the 3-0 win v Wigan being Crew's third victory on the spin without conceding in all comps. Could talk about their Rona-related squad depletion or that they had nine shots on target to Wigan's nil on Saturday. But really all I need to say is that touch from Charlie Kirk to set up the same Good, yeah. I mean, the the bar is being raised week on week. Um, I think we all did quite well there. Head to at the Totally Show on Twitter to cast your vote. Is this the week that Clarky finally picks up a W? No. 
Now, on Sunday, the Telegraph broke the story that Manchester United and Liverpool were putting forward a proposal to reform English football, which would see the Premier League Cup from 20 to 18 teams, the League Cup and Community Shield scrap, changes to the playoff systems, more pertinently for us, EFL clubs being given a £250 million bailout, the FA being gifted £100 million and the current parachute payment system being scrapped. And Matt Slater, the Athletics Chief of News and Investigations, was talking all about it on the Totally Football Show. Listen to that to get the full details. He said Leagues 1 and 2 largely in favour of it, but he suspects the Premier League sides won't be in favour. It's the 6 plus the extra 3, so there are a whole bunch of Premier League sides who this probably wouldn't work out that well for. Uh, Clarky, we heard your thoughts on it on, on the big show, so we'll start with you, Sam. It seems to be one of those where there's there's some good in it and then there's some stuff that really seems to have turned people's stomach. What's what's your take? Yeah, the same really, Matt. I think there's some some really good ideas in there. Obviously, the most important thing is that they try and narrow the gap in terms of the finances. And I think that, that does, does that for potentially a number of the EFL clubs. But the timing just doesn't feel right to me. Why not just sort those finances out, whether it be the £250 million and then get everyone around the table? It seems a little bit sneaky. Um, it, it looks like a financial sweetener to get what the powerhouses in the Premier League want. So it doesn't sit particularly well with me. But I can't see... I can't see an abundance of negatives for the AFL sides. Of course, we don't want the top six to run football. We want it to stay organic uh, as much as it can and have the structure remain in place that we've all loved over the years. Why I got into football because of the, the romance of the lower league clubs and every town having a club, etc. But I suppose losing the revenue from the League Cup, uh, two less teams straight away. I know Clarkey mentioned that on the on the other show that's a, a concern straight away uh, and obviously less chance of maybe making it into the Premier League because one of those positions gets taken away. The automatic um, playoff position is is now a bit more of a lottery with that extra playoff against the Premier League team. So there's a few negatives, but all in all, I think you have to be quite balanced and say at least, at least they're going to try and be proactive. Whether this is the right way forward is probably the, the biggest debate considering the timing. Um, Faye, Adrian called it opportunistic on the big show yesterday. Is that, you know, more damning of the Premier League and the government? Because there's been this big void of how are we going to make up for the shortfall here? We haven't heard anything from the Premier League. You know, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport came out and, and bashed the plan yesterday without having provided any sort of alternative or, or given a hint that they were about to do that. So really, this is the perfect time for them to put this plan forward, isn't it? Because there's nothing else on the table. No, I agree with Adrian. It's opportunistic, I think. Um, the Premier League did come out with a statement yesterday, um, as in Sunday, um, in response to, to these proposals. Um, and, you know, 14 of the 20 Premier League clubs knew nothing about it. Um, and so, to me, that smacks of a bit of underhandedness. Rick Parry, chairman of the EFL, also says that the plans don't actually offer any safeguard against the big clubs changing the deals in the future to suit their best interests. So it is a risk. Um, and that's the thing that worries me the most because it seems like a very short-term plan that sweetens everybody at the moment when they're all worried about the financial situation um, that clubs are facing. But actually, it could be have a detrimental effect on them in the future if they decide, bearing in mind they have the power so they can pretty much do what they like if they decide to change that deal at any point. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really worried about B teams being brought in because we know that the, the big clubs want to have B teams in the EFL. So that, that that's a, a massive concern straight up. And uh, really, the other thing that that really troubles me is what, what happens if it if it doesn't go through quickly? I mean, these teams need bailout. They need that money now. And this doesn't strike me as a kind of proposal that's going to get a green light in, in two or three weeks. We've spoken to you know people that work in football clubs and they're saying well look we can get to November but beyond November who knows we, we, we need some kind of investment or, or some kind of savior to come in by then and, and and this kind of plan isn't going to get the seal of approval by then so, so what who is going to save the day hopefully the the government might look at this really hate it and decide that they that they're going to stump up the cash after all and 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 then we can talk about a restructuring of the game afterwards I think that's the, a really good point, Adrian, because I think the reason they've come out and said it now is because they're thinking that so many lower league clubs are in such awful plight. And as you say, some saying they can get themselves to November, that they'll rush in and accept this because it feels like a pressure and a bit too much of that. And to be honest, if they really did want to help out lower league clubs like they say they do, then why would they just not hand over that £250 million without a load of caveats associated with it? Mm. All right, lastly then, uh, yes or no, do we think this is going to go through, Sam? I don't think so at the moment. No, I think that it's, like I said, I think it's a positive that there's discussions already started. But yeah, I think there's another way to do it right now in terms of the finances that are so desperately needed. Faye? No. Adrian? Not in this current guise, but but I do think uh, major reform will happen. Um, but this doesn't feel like the way to do it. It's too sneaky. Hmm. You feel like maybe they, they've put this forward being quite radical, thinking, well, we're not going to get everything that we're proposing here. But if we just throw a load of stuff at the wall, we'll see what sticks. And then, you know, after that, we'll see where we are in a couple of months time. Um, we will get Dale Vince's thought on this later in the show. And as I say, Adrian and Matt Slater spoke more on it on the Totally Football Show, which you can download from your preferred podcast provider now. Right, no action on the pitch in the championship, but if you think that's going to stop me crowbarring in some forest chat, you're very much mistaken. That comes next. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash league show. You're listening to the Totally Football League show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Headlines from the Championship, Sayonara Sabri, hello Hewton at the City Ground as the two-time European champions Nottingham Forest appoint their 200th manager in the last two years. Uh, elsewhere in managerial news, Gerhard Struber has now left Barnsley to take over at New York Red Bulls. It's not all bad news for the Tykes, though. They've signed defender Callum Britton from MK Dons and Saeed Benrahma is off to have a medical at West Ham. Time for our weekly Forest chat then. We'll keep it fairly brief. Ali and George went in on this last week with Paul Taylor, the Forest correspondent for The Athletic. Sabri Lamushi 
given the boot last week, a very terse statement that didn't bother thanking him for his services to the club, despite leading them to their best finish in 10 years. Uh, as soon as the data was processed on the tweet saying he'd been sacked, there was another one that followed saying Chris Hutton had been appointed. Adrian, Sam, we know that you felt that Sabri should have been given more time, but he wasn't. Um, Faye, do you think that Chris Hutton is a, a suitable replacement for him? I think he's an excellent replacement for him. Um, I'm delighted to see him back in football as well. Um, he's a very popular character. Uh, he sets his teams up well. Um, and I think, you know, you should be quite optimistic. He also doesn't take too much nonsense either. So uh, I would suggest that um, hopefully he can work well with your board and we'll have less of a turnaround in management. It's got to be some criticism of the board, hasn't there, Adrian? I mean, the way that they handled this is is really poor. I mentioned they didn't even bother thanking Lamushi for the work that he did, which is pretty classless. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, you could say it was efficient. There's no, they, they, you know, one one out and one in straight away. They did their, you know, they were diligent in the way that they they had an immediate person ready to take over. I think if you're a Forest fan, you should probably be grateful for that, really. And it's a, it's a good appointment isn't it Chris Hewitt I don't think you'll find many Forest fans moaning he obviously took Newcastle and Brighton up via automatic promotion I think he got Birmingham into the playoffs as well so he's he's a championship expert no doubt about it I think you touched on it there can he work with the board that's the key issue here that it does does smell like there's been a bit of interference with various managers lots of noise particularly on the recruitment department, who, who's choosing all the players that are coming in. Obviously, we know about the links with, with Greek football. So, yeah, how, how much control is Hutton going to be able to, to exert, really? And my other concern, overwhelmingly positive about the appointment, but my other concern is is that they've just signed a load of players that that thought they were going to work with Lamushi and uh, Hutton would have had no say on any of these newcomers. So will they be his type? Um, it could be a very bloated squad until January. Yeah, just the 13 new signings. Still time to, to squeeze a few more in. Uh, lastly on this then, Sam, no wins from the opening four games, but but given it's the championship, that doesn't mean that that a promotion push would be completely off the table this season, would it? He's never finished below fourth in the league, Hutton. No, absolutely not. He's a, a specialist, as, as the guys have just said, in in the championship. I think... Probably wrongly, he gets tarnished as being quite defensive and, and pragmatic. But if you actually look at his record, certainly at Brighton, I think they're the third top goal scorers in the, the championship. At Newcastle, they played great stuff. And we just remember, I think a lot of fans of football, his period at um, Brighton, latterly, and also at Norwich as well, when he's in the Premier League and you have to set up differently. It's a completely different kettle of fish getting out of the championship to playing in the Premier League. So I think with this squad, as Adrian spoke of, um, he'll get them organised, no doubt, defensively, but there's loads of attacking prowess in that squad as well. So, yeah, really good appointment. And I don't think he's the type to be overawed by the old shadow of Brian Clough, which maybe gets um, spoken about. Top career, managed some big clubs, uh, been around some high-quality players, no problem at all in, in that regard. I'm sure he'll go in there and embrace it. OK, let's get to the weekend's action in League One. This season, the Premier League is going to be a little different. 
But at Paddy Power, we're trying to look at the upside. Avoid unnecessary journeys, that's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate, some midfielders do that very effectively. Avoid European travel, shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans. When you think about it, not that much has changed, really. New normal, same old football. Just like Paddy Power's Acker Cracker. Get a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18plusbgambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines. Ipswich top after bashing Blackpool. Lincoln no longer perfect but second in the table which isn't too shabby. MK Dons and Shrewsbury the only teams yet to win. And Friday was a great night for Fleetwood and fans of the Captain Pugwash theme tune. Saunders might go on his own. He does! He has squeezed it through. He may have had a testing start, but Fleetwood Town can be a force to be reckoned with at times in League One. And the whole city defence is breached for the first time this season. As the Cod Army bested the Tigers of Holland, what would have been a gigantic upset in the Animal Kingdom and was a fairly sizeable one in the third tier of English football. Uh, we'll start with that game. Friday night defeat for previously perfect Hull at Highbury Stadium. Sam, you covered this one. Paddy Power had Fleetwood 2-1 to one to beat Hull before the match and 75-1 to one for a 4-1 win. Is this the, the biggest shock you've seen so far this season? Oh, no, not, not at all. No, I expected <laughs> Fleetwood to come good and I was pretty sure that we can't read too much into four straight wins for Hull City either, despite you know, a brilliant start to the season. Yeah, Fleet would have been playing an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old at, at centre-half, which has been the issue. So they upgraded to a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old for this one. <laughs> one of them handed his first start. The other was Alan Stubbs' son. So undoubtedly, he will go on and be a, a very good player. Um, and I think Joey Barton just simplified things. That's what I took out of it. Really good football inside they've been in the last 12 months, but no nonsense. Got it forward. Uh, especially in the first half, when and then given a platform to play, they they started knocking it around in the second half. But three forward players on the pitch, all good at backing in, winning headers, Paddy Madden, Ched Evans, and of course the man of the moment, Harvey Saunders, who was the difference between the two sides. Young lad, scored eight goals already. This was his first start, scored at Rochdale, coming off the bench last time out, got two on Friday, really reminiscent of David Wheeler. Uh, I thought that comparison was a good one. Could be a 200-metre runner. Powerful, brilliant in the air, and just direct. And I just think sometimes, in my experience, a fringe player being given an opportunity and grabbing it can sometimes inspire the rest of it, especially the forward players, but also to give the defence that belief that they're going to score goals. And I think we're seeing that at Fleetwood. Someone that's not been part of Joey Barton's plans into the picture, scoring goals, and, and, and he was the big difference. That and a defensive capitulation uh, from Hull City, who weren't particularly good. I didn't love the midfield. I thought that he took the best midfield player off, Batty, when he was chasing the game, uh, Grant McCann. So maybe his substitutes didn't work. But a really good win for, for Fleetwood. And I expect them to challenge. Definitely just need to get two defenders in before the window closes uh, to help those young boys. And um, they'll come good, no doubt. 
Uh, Adrian, you looking at Gillingham 3, Oxford 1 for us. Carl Robinson feeling his team were hard done by. Hard not to disagree with that looking at the stats. Oxford, 74% possession, 31 shots compared to Gillingham's 15. Um, it's all about efficiency though, right? <laughs> it really is. But that's, that's what Steve Evans has, has made a career of, really. He's, he's never really been a manager that's obsessed with, with keeping the ball. It's about the percentage game and, and extracting the best out of the players that he's got at his disposal and and playing to the strengths, really. And and they've got a couple of big lads up top with Samuel and, and for Dane Oliver. And they boom it and they play off the second balls and they they, they test opposition defences. And, and, and Oxford didn't defend balls into the box particularly well. They certainly didn't defend as well as Gillingham did at, at the other end. Of course, they rode their luck in this game and, and, and the keeper was good. Jack Bonham. But um, but no, Gillingham are quietly going about their business, and and it, it strikes me that they've young team under Steve Evans, and, and Steve Evans is quite stern, isn't he? And I, I think he he likes to to mould these younger players into into the way that he he wants to operate. So I think it, it suits him to have hungry young players. I think eight of the eleven were new new faces, so I think that, that they're settling in. Very, very well down there in, in Kent, these these new guys. And, and they're in and around the playoffs for good reason. Jordan Graham's a standout. Four goals and an assist. He got a golden assist in this game. Signed him from Wolves. Just an example, really, of, of smart smart recruitment. Sort of saw the type of player that they needed that would maybe supply the ammo for Oliver, for Samuel. And, uh, and lo and behold, he did that at the weekend. So, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with the Jills. They won't be great to watch. <laughs> I think I, I looked at the stats and... Northampton are the only team in the division that play fewer short passes. So they're not going to pop it around. They have the least possession of anyone in the league as well. So uh, not not pretty, but very effective at the moment. That is definitely the kindest you've ever been to Steve Evans on this show. Stern was the harshest word you've used there. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I, yeah I've, I've, I've got it all out of my system. You know, I, I, I'm more than happy to praise people when you see when you see things are working, and and it's definitely working for Evans at the moment. Even though I can't stand the fella. Yeah, you can always keep sending him anonymous hate tweets, I suppose. Um, Northampton nil, Peterborough two. Faye, you were across this one. I wasn't aware it was a, a derby until friend of the show, Simon Watts, pointed it out on Quest. Uh, Posh getting their sixth win in a row against the Cobblers. Darren Ferguson dedicating the win to club legend and record appearance maker Tommy Robson, who passed away last week. He'd, he'd also played for Northampton. Um, Posh seemed to have put that if you start behind them now. Back-to-back league wins and, and Project Vengeance back on. Yeah, a little bit. And can I just say, do you not ever see a map? Northampton and Peterborough are very close to each other. Is it, I did a route map an easy of it. Derby. It's an hour. Yeah, an that's, hour? That, that's, does that constitute a derby? Well, I've I think it's got to be in, under an hour for a I've derby. driven it in less than an hour, we, definitely. We spoke about this on, on Saturday at Quest. Is it a rivalry rather than a derby? No. Uh, probably. Yeah, would, no, I'm with you with that, that maybe. Mm. I listen, we have this with Luton and Watford all the time and, you know, it's it's. It, I can understand the difference between... It's just semantics, really, I reckon. But Northampton, it's got to be a derby with MK Dons, hasn't it? I mean, I think yeah. in M1, it's, it's only a couple of junctions on, or at least it and feels Peter like And Peterborough's that. Cambridge, that's their, that's their derby, surely. <laughs> listen, they're anyway, all in the same facility. Down, it? it's, it's, anyway, yeah. So, do, yeah. You, do you want the man who scored the last uh, time Northampton beat Peterborough to tell you whether it's a derby? Oh, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Who would yeah, that was, be? Oh, a huge derby that night. Huge. <laughs> Venom in the stands. Ah, oh, the intensity. Much needed, that goal. So, Sorry, was Faye. that... 
That's all right. Two and a half years ago was the last time that, that they met in the league anyway. Pretty straightforward for Peterborough, really. I can't even remember what Matt's question was. Uh, did they get over there if he start? That was it, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, they're getting there. Three wins in their last five league games now. Wasn't a particularly scintillating performance, I'd say, but they did the job and, you know, that's sometimes what you need to do. Uh, Christy Pym kept the minute in the first half, made a couple of really good saves to make sure that Northampton didn't have much of a sniff. It was pretty even in terms of possession, really. But Sariki Dembele was really impressive. Uh, they were set up in this 4-2-3-1 formation. He set up the first goal. He was such a handful. He was just given a little bit more license to roam around behind Johnson Clark Harris, which really helped. Uh, but then Northampton kind of cottoned onto that in the second half and smothered him out, really. So their chances were limited then. Uh, Northampton did well to keep the scoreline down to, to two, really. Uh, Reese Brown's goal on 80 minutes, sealing it for Peterborough. It was pretty comfortable um, in the end. Their defence was, was pretty solid as well. Um, Northampton's... Third defeat on the bounce, though. Not so good for them. And they're just a point above the bottom three. Yeah, we were a bit worried about Northampton when they sold so many of the players who who got them up to League One uh, via the playoffs last season. Another team who came up was Swindon, beaten 1-0 at home by Wimbledon. John Green of At Sports with John tweeting after this one. I'm very confused. It appears that AFC Wimbledon might be good. We're um, not in the relegation zone. We are, in fact, in 10th place this is very strange. Eight points from their first five games, Sam. At this stage last season, they only had two. Other than Joe Piggott pigging out on goals, what, what else has been the secret to their success? An excellent goalkeeper that they brought in on loan from, from Birmingham and Connell Truman and Seddon getting him back at left wing back. In truth, I think away from home they're going to be brilliantly set up as they've shown away at Fleetwood with that 1-0 win and again at, at Swindon who have been really free scoring at home so I think that's where their performance are going to probably excel I think at home that's where they're going to need to pick up more points and going to have to improve and have more of a goal threat you know you can't be so reliant on, on one man I had a little look no shots from the three central midfield players at the weekend at Swindon Chisler, uh, who they got from Aldershot, did score on the opening day of the season. But I think you can get away from there being large gaps in terms of the midfield to the strikers away from home if you set up in the five and the four and you say, go and break us down. I think at home you have to be a little bit more proactive. So that'll be something to look at. But I'm not going to take anything away from them today because they frustrated the life out of Swindon. Swindon's final ball was was really poor and and they... They took advantage of a team in Swindon who decimated by injuries, had a right-winger playing at right-back. Richie Wellens is desperate to get some players out so he can bring some new recruits in. And I think for them, it's just difficult when you've taken Doughty, Yates and Doyle. If you took those three out of any side, and it's going to be difficult to replace them. And at the moment, it looks like they need a little bit more firepower, I would say. Accrington to Rochdale 1 is a game that Adrian had a look out for us. Derby delight for Stanley finally getting the better of Rochdale after six straight defeats against them. First time they've beaten their local rivals at home since 1960. John Coleman dedicating the win to all Stanley septuagenarians. Oh, no, 60 years a long time. And, I mean, we went a bit over pause with the, the team talk before the game. We said the lads could make history. I was saying they were going to be building statues of them and effigies and 
pictures in museums. But so, were they good value for it, Clarky? <laughs> yeah, it was, well, it was quite an even game. But uh, yeah, I think Aquintin are in in a pretty good state at the moment. I, I like the goals actually. I thought both the goals were very similar in their in their makeup. In in that it was a long diagonal from a centre half to the wing back. In both cases, it was Pritchard who popped up on the right to score from a, quite a, a fluky cross. And then he set, set up the uh, the winning goal quite brilliantly for, for John Russell. Again, receiving the ball from one of those long diags. And and, and that's what you see a lot of in, in Leagues 1 and League 2. If you've got centre-halves that can drill the ball to, accurately to, to the wide players that hug the touchline, it, it can get you up the pitch. And and uh, Accrington do that do that pretty well from what I can I can tell. Another reason for optimism is that they're not the strikers aren't scoring. Yeah, I mean all the goals seem to be coming from from midfield players. Uh, Pritchard's got a couple. Wackway, Butcher, Russell have all scored. Bishop hasn't got one yet. Cassidy, who they brought in from Watford, his only goal came from a penalty. So you think, okay, well if they've got goals from midfield, that's great. Once the strikers start scoring, maybe they'll be, they'll be a force to be reckoned with. Because because I look at their back three and it's 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 quite a settled unit and there's a bit more experience there so no Accrington deserved the win just about and uh, yeah they're, they're in that top half on merit I'd say yeah they've got these three Chelsea loanies uh, Sam and I have seen a, a bit of John Russell and Tarek Awakwe but I think Nathan Baxter the goalkeeper is, is the one to really watch there he's only 21 he's, he's been making his way around the, the loan system this is his six he's already made over 100 appearances in senior football which is a lot for a goalkeeper of his age so he is on- somebody to watch on that, Matt, I think safety and numbers, I don't know what Sam feels. I went on a few loan spells and, and you quickly make friends. It's no big deal. Um, but but you can be a little bit jolly no, mates. You can be on your, on your own and it's, it's all a very different environment. You're the outsider that everyone's sort of looking at, judging quite quickly. But when you've got three guys that know each other already from Chelsea I think that's quite smart really from John Coleman to get three talented young boys who, who who will relax each other in that new environment I think that's quite um quite astute management it's fairly unusual I'd say it's not it's not something you, you see a lot of yeah I remember yeah. Me, me and um Rob Williston if you remember the name he was a really talented boy uh, they sent us on loan to Northampton. It was probably my second year of playing first-team football. And it was a help, obviously, initially in the dressing room. But it did mean that me and him drank far too many pints of Guinness <laughs> and uh, didn't pay too much attention uh, to uh, what we should have been doing. So it had, And I think Rob actually ended up going back, to, <laughs> going back to Chelsea early part of that season. I was able to turn my form around and had a decent... Um, end to the season we avoided relegation but yeah definitely got its uh, plus and its minus points <laughs> yeah you can uh, drink as many pints of Guinness as you want in Northampton <laughs> if you score the winner in the big derby against Peterborough that's uh, <laughs> the one thing that we've it was the equaliser Matt uh, okay well yeah <laughs> last up on the League One tour Plymouth to Burton Nil Fay you've been looking at, at Plymouth what's got you uh, what's got you excited about them at the start of this season well, you were talking about um, youngsters making a big impact and Wales under-21 striker Luke Jeffcott um, scored first half goal for uh, Plymouth at the weekend. That's only his second League One appearance this season and his second goal because he's been out for a few weeks with a thigh injury. Uh, Ryan Lowe calls him a goal machine. He's a really bright 
prospects. I didn't know that much about him beforehand, but he's going to be crucial to Plymouth's success this season. This time last year, he was out on loan at Truro City in the Southern League, came back to Plymouth in January, and his stats are nine goals in 15 league starts and a sub-appearance, which is pretty impressive. He's 20 years old, and uh, yeah, I think he's, he's quite an exciting prospect for Plymouth going forward. Uh, Abby, let's get some odds as set by Paddy Power on some League One stuff. We have an actual midweek match to look forward to here. Uh, who are Paddy Power backing in the Oxford v Crew Alexandra game? Yes, Oxford take on Crew on Tuesday night. They are twenty-one to twenty to win that one. Oxford United, so home favourites. Crew coming in at twelve to five with the draw thirteen to five. And if you fancy plumping something on a correct score, well, two-one Oxford United is the most likely outcome according to Paddy Power, and that comes in at seven to one. And has there been any movement on the League One winner? There's no movement in who Paddy Power expect to win League One. That's still Sunderland at 16-5. to Ipswich coming in a bit shorter now, though, at 9-2, with Hull 13-2, as are Portsmouth. Uh, and Peterborough round up that top five at 8-1. to Good stuff. Right, that was a lovely in-depth look at League One. League Two up next. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the Totally Football League show with Faker Rovers, Sam Parkin and Adrian Clark. Annual League Two headlines look like this. Salford City have placed Paul Scholes in temporary charge after sacking Graham Alexander. Uh, Rovers raged after Tranmere's game at Salford went ahead despite their squad being heavily depleted because of COVID. Morecambe's goal difference might be negative, but their league position is positive. And Grimsby picked up their first point of the season after drawing at Bolton, Grimsby youngsters Louis Boyd and Ben Griss being monitored by Liverpool and Chelsea. Read all about that in David Ornstein's athletic column. Well, this Salford news is just breaking as we record. Um, Adrian, this is pretty brutal, isn't it? Graham Alexander was doing all right, wasn't he? Why would you sack him and place somebody in charge who had five minutes in management and didn't seem to take to it? <laughs> well, he's part of the part of the ownership group, isn't he? I mean, I'm sure that they've just had a chat between themselves and thought, well, I could do better than that. Uh, go, well, go on then. And and yeah, look, it's, it, sh- it shows how ruthless they are. It shows that the, the ambition still burns strong. Getting into the EFL isn't, wasn't the be all and end all. I thought it was a tremendous achievement, really. I know that they did it, you know, using a lot of money, Salford, but to get to the AFL from where they were was great. But but clearly they've got their eyes on on bigger prizes. I, I think Graham Alexander is a tremendous manager um, at that level. I don't think you'll find many better. But they have underperformed this season and they haven't really gelled as an attacking unit. And I think what what maybe counted against him. Um, at the at the weekend was that they were two 0 up against depleted Tranmere. They should have wiped the floor with them really, and they just sat on it and they 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 didn't react. Tranmere changed their tactics. Salford just sort of protected what they got, and and it came back to bite them. And and with Keane in the stand, Roy Keane was in the stands, wasn't he? Neville, a whole lot of them. I saw Chris Casper was there as well. Then they, they've obviously had a had a meeting afterwards and and decided that that was you know too much to take it's it's a shocking it's a shocking piece of news but but it it does outline the standards that that Salford board expect moving forward that so I think it's automatic promotion or or bust in their eyes this year Faye we don't know what's gone on behind the scenes but just looking at it they haven't lost a league game this season they're, they're in the playoff positions in the early part of the season what more do they want I have no idea um 
It's interesting that it's temporary charge because, I mean, you could say that for Oldham. 31 days is pretty much temporary charge. So how long is he going to last? But he can't kind of walk away in the same way with Salford as he did with Oldham, can he? So it will remain to be seen whether or not this is actually a temporary measure or if this is, you know, a permanent fixture. And then who's he going to bring in with him? Or have they got somebody else in mind that they're going to announce in the next week or so, but just couldn't now? Don't know. Interesting one. Um, finally then, Sam, is there a chance that, that Salford all of a sudden becomes a less attractive proposition because of the way that they have burned through managers on their way up the leagues? And, and if you think you're secure in your position, not losing any of your first five league games, then, then all of a sudden you get the sack. And might it be something that, that's not quite the, the pull that it once was? I don't think so, because I think that there'll be financial reward there for, for, for taking the gig. I would imagine they'll appoint someone that they know. So there may be a, a personal relationship there. And I think that the guys are bang on. They would have looked at this season with the work they've done in the transfer market and said to Graham Alexander, you need to get us up this year. You know, with Jordan Turnbull coming in, Ian Henderson, the midfield that they've put together of Lowe and, and, and Gibson. Ridiculous names, really, uh, for this level. And for them to not um, be playing particularly well as an attacking unit, as Adrian said, and to capitulate against the side who had horrendous problems off the pitch before Saturday, probably the final straw. So it is a big shock, but when you've seen the passion that Neville and the like have on that uh, Class of 92 documentary, I thought that was you know really evident. They are really passionate about that club succeeding. So not surprised completely. Uh, producer Abby tipping Sir Alex Ferguson to get the job <laughs> on a permanent basis. I'm going to call that a hard no. Um, let's move on to Scunthorpe 1, Forest Green Rovers 4. One of the big winners in League 2 this past weekend, uh, FGR. They thumped Scunthorpe at Glanford Park. We'll hear from owner Dale Vince soon. Uh, first though, Faye, they've got a red-hot striker called Matt and they've got Forrest in their name, so I'm a big fan. Uh, how about you? What did you make of the here? <laughs> yeah, really impressive. Came from behind, of course. Uh, Scunthorpe going ahead early on through Aaron Jarvis. Uh, Scunthorpe had the chance to make it too, but squandered it. Big mistake there because uh, Forest Green Rovers striker Jamil Matt scored twice before half-time and then completed his hat-trick late on as well. Scunthorpe manager Neil Cox said his side hit the self-destruct button and their heads went down and they just didn't know how to get back in the game. And that pretty much explains it. But wow, Jamil Matt's on fire, isn't he? Certainly is. Well, I'm thrilled to say we're joined now by the owner of Forest Green Rovers, Dale Vince. Dale, thanks so much for, for joining us today. I think the first thing we've got to talk about, given that it's, it's so pertinent and, and so fresh in our minds, is, is Project Big Picture. That There's been a lot of discussion about it this morning after the story broke on, on Sunday. As the owner of a League Two club, what's your view on it? Um, I'm, I'm pretty positive about it, actually. Uh, I read about it last night on the internet and I was quite excited because uh, I think it grapples with some of the biggest issues um, in football. The, uh, the kind of distribution of cash from the top end down through the pyramid, uh, the distorting impact of parachute payments. Uh, those are the two big issues for me. And, and it deals with them. It obviously comes with um, some downsides, uh, something that's been characterized as a power grab by the, the big six Premier League clubs uh, in terms of voting rights. But I imagine that it's a basis for negotiation and, uh, and that, that could be amended. 
And the other big story that, that's breaking League Two wise today is that Salford have, have parted company with, with Graham Alexander. They all get through managers fairly rapidly. You're quite different. Mark Cooper's been been with you for a, a long time now. Is, is that something that you see as important for the stability of the football club? Or is it just as, as simple as he's doing a good job so you keep him in it? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Actually, this is the way we roll as a football club. So I've been in charge of 10 years and in that time have just appointed two managers. Um, and it's because uh, I guess I take a different view to uh, to a lot of other club owners or chairmen. And, um, you know, what I'm looking to create is a sustainable platform. I think managers like players have to learn and develop their game. And if you give them space to do that, then you can create something more long, long-term and sustainable than... Uh, than a kind of hire and fire mentality will get you. You use the word sustainable, and obviously that's a, a massive part of the ethos of, of Forest Green Rovers as a club. Um, do you find it difficult to keep the balance between the sustainability, you know, promoting the, the carbon neutrality, the, the veganism, all those kind of things, and and success on the pitch? Or, or are they things that you found have actually gone hand in hand? Yeah, I think they go hand in hand. I think sustainability is a big word. We take a holistic approach to that. It's not just about environment sustainability. It's about financial stability as well. Success on the pitch is part and parcel of being a successful green football club. And it's about fairness as well. You can't have true sustainability without being fair to people. And we have very much an ethical approach to that, whether we're talking about fans, staff, players, manager, you name it. It's an holistic approach that we take to the concept of sustainability. The development of the club has been pretty rapid in, in recent years and obviously that will ramp up a gear as and when the new stadium comes into effect. Planning permission uh, granted, which is a big hurdle obviously for you to have overcome. It's going to be an entirely wooden stadium, so we, we believe, um, just off the, the M5. How excited are you about that and, and how soon do you think that it, it could be ready to host a, a Forest Green game? Yeah, um, I guess I'm fairly excited. It's been six years in planning. And so uh, although it's quite a big deal, it's been a long time coming. And uh, did it eventually feel um, kind of, uh, you know, inevitable, uh, I would say, but I'm still excited to move to the next stage. We've got to do detailed stadium design now and clear away about 30 different uh, planning conditions before we can start work. I imagine we might be 12 months away from breaking ground, something like that. And then it's a two-year build program. So we're a good three seasons away from playing there yet, by which time I expect we'll be in League One. Um, we mentioned that we're big fans of the way you run the club. Somebody else who, who obviously is is Hector Bayerin. He, he became the second largest shareholder recently. How, how did you come to meet him and, and how did he come to be involved in the club? Yeah, he reached out um, via his agent a few months ago and just said he liked what we were doing and he wanted to be a part of the family in his own words. And uh, we started a conversation about how that could work and we landed eventually on the idea of him being a shareholder as a starting place while we explore other things that we can do together. He's got a few off-field activities going on in the kind of ecosphere. Uh, we have some as well and we're looking at things we can collaborate on. It was fantastic to meet him. We had a Zoom meeting because of the lockdown and um, yeah, he's a really cool guy. I like what he's doing and I like the way he's using his platform. Do you think that he's an outlier or are there more footballers interested in kind of sustainability, green ethos than, than, than maybe you would immediately think? 
Can I say both? Because I think he is at, at once a bit of an outlier, but also a sign of the direction of travel of football, which itself just reflects the direction of travel of society, I would say. We're all becoming more aware, more conscious of the issues and uh, keener to do something about them. So I think football's been changing in the same way that life in general has been changing as we come to grips with the idea that we are facing a climate crisis. And another new face involved with the club is Robert Del Naja, the, the massive attack um, musician. He's the club's artistic director. Tell us what, what that actually will involve for him in, in terms of his role at the club. Yes, that was an interesting one because um, I got to know Rob about a year ago uh, when he got in touch over the zero carbon gig that Massive Attack were planning in Liverpool, which is a really brilliant idea. Off the back of that, they intended to create a blueprint for other uh, gigs and events to follow. And um, yeah, a few weeks ago, he said to me, actually, I'd like to do a, a bit of a hector, as in buy some shares in the club. And uh, and I just said, look, don't just do that. Why, why don't you join us? Because I think actually we could do some stuff together. I've, I've seen the work he's doing, you know, it engages people, it's climate themed and it's innovative. And uh, he's a big football fan, as well as a fan of FGR. And so uh, I just had the idea, why not be our artistic director? Because I think there'll be some considerable overlaps between his world <clears throat> and our world, as it were, and that together we can kind of push some new boundaries within football. What it exactly means, we don't know. Uh, and for me, that's part of the excitement. It's like an exploration. Uh, the idea of an artistic director in football is entirely new, uh, but I feel sure there are, there are big things we can do there together. Yeah, it does sound exciting. Um, in terms of on the pitch, you, meant, you mentioned League One in three years' time. Is that something that, that you've set Mark Cooper as a challenge? Uh, we don't tend to set targets like that. Um, I know I've been running Ecotricity for nearly 25 years. We've never had a business plan. We don't set ourselves goals. We just try to do stuff uh, and make progress. And, and FGR is the same. We're here to enjoy the journey as much as have a destination in mind. I think that's really important. And... Every year we try to improve on and off the pitch and in that way build ourselves sustainably so that when promotions come, we're in a better position to maintain them and continue to push on up. Final question. Obviously, the, the stadium naming is something that, that's going on at the moment. It's going to be the innocent something. Uh, our own Nick Miller suggested the innocent Maro Canar. Is that a, a potential possibility? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's too late now, but I like that one. The banana bow was also suggested uh, on social media. Uh, my favourite was the Stade de Plant. Um, I thought that was quite cool. There have been some great ones out, uh, out there. The final vote is going to our uh, season ticket holders. And um, I have a sense of which way that one's going. We can see the voting so far. I think we'll announce it in a day or two. Excellent. Dale, thanks so much for your time. And we wish you the best of luck. Really impressed with what you've been doing on and off the pitch. And hopefully it'll, it'll bear fruit and, and organic fruit at that. <laughs> thanks very much. Dale Vince, putting the green into Forest Green Rovers. Uh, let's move on to Cheltenham to Crawley nil. Sam, you've been looking at this one for us. Crawley on the Johnny Rocks, beaten 2-0 by a Cheltenham side. Seemingly over last season's playoff heartbreak. They're up to fourth after a third win on the spin in the league. Uh, Defence key for them last season and this their third clean sheet in a row in League Two. So it looks as though they'll be building from the back again this time around. Yeah, four straight wins in all comps and, and not conceded. So... Unbelievable, really, when you think back to that capitulation in the second leg of the, the playoffs. They're like a, a circus act, weren't they? And it's, it's the same back three. 
who were outstanding for large parts of last season. They had 20 clean sheets. Manchester City, as a comparison, the top in the Premier League had 17. They conceded six less than Liverpool and played the same amount of games if you take the playoff games into account. So they were unbelievable last year. And yet, after a defeat on the opening day to Morecambe, just back uh, to their brilliant best. And uh, I just look at the signings they've made as well in front of that. I know Liam Serkin well, had a year of him at Exeter. That is a brilliant signing in League Two. He will do what um, they've lost in, in, in Broome, the lad who's gone off to Peterborough. Andy Williams always scored goals. Higher than that, League One, no problem. And Matty Blair on the right-hand side will do for them what Chris Hussey has done so successfully on the left. So I look at it, I don't see a big weakness. We um, spoke at length about their striking options last year. Still got a plethora of, of guys who can play down the middle. And that was a, a routine victory. Looked at the shot count. The, the two strikers for um, Cheltenham had eight attempts and the front four of Crawley managed half that. So it was a, as convincing a, a victory as you're likely to see. Yeah, and as for Crawley, our friend Yemo, magnanimous as ever. But when you're playing 12 men there every day, it's ridiculous. Um, good luck to them. Look, you know... Could I play like that? Would I play like it? If we had the players, you might do. But they are what they are and we are what we are. Uh, Cambridge beat Newport by two goals to one. Um, Faye, you had a look at this one for us. A Paul Mullin double, a double assist from Wes Houlihan. Apart from him, what's been good about, about Cambridge this season? And, and did Max Rushton make you um, put them into our running order? Uh-huh. Do you know what? No, I picked Cambridge today just to hammer them. No, I didn't really. Just because <laughs> Max Rushton constantly hammers Luton Town. Uh, but no, really impressive from uh, from Cambridge. Knocking Newport off the top. Their first defeat of the season. It moves Cambridge up to second. So they're just two points behind Morecambe. And I think, you know, the only person I know who ever talks about Cambridge at length is Max Rushton. And he, you know, always just says, oh, another defeat, another defeat, another defeat. So I don't even bother looking at their results because I just assume they're going to be dreadful. And actually this season they've been they've been great. But I just want to give a nod separately um, to the Cambridge City um, groundsman. Ian Darler received a British Empire medal in the Queen's Birthday Honours list for his service to the club and his charity work. He's been there for 42 years. And after receiving that, he had his work cut out for him because the conditions at the Abbey Stadium at the weekend were absolutely horrendous, so much so that the second half was delayed uh, by 10 minutes. So well done for him for showing exactly why he deserves that medal. Yeah, he definitely earned it, didn't he, this weekend. Uh, last stop on the League Two fun bus is Vale Park, Port Vale nil. Carlisle won second weekend in succession. A John Mellish goal earned a 1-0 win for the Cumbrians. Four in three games for him now. Were you impressed with the uh, the club that you spent time at on loan, Adrian? <laughs> Such happy times at Carlisle United. <laughs> yeah, in the sort of Alan Partridge uh, motel uh, on the edge of, of the city by the motorway. Yeah, loved, <laughs> loved it there, not. Still got your um, big plate? <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. Um, but it was a big plate. I do remember that. Um, no, I mean, Port Vale have, have sort of hit the wall, can't score. Carlisle, a little bit like Cheltenham, really, in terms of their building on, building from the back, as in being hard to, to break down. No one's faced fewer shots this season in League Two than Carlisle United. I think they're averaging 7.8 shots against, which I think is, is very impressive, especially when you consider how many new players they've brought in this summer. Chris Beach made 15 signings, to my knowledge. So um, they've settled in very well. Three, three clean sheets in the last four. The one player I, that I want to talk about, and he wasn't brilliant in this game, 
who's okay, uh, is Jim Toure. I just think he's a really exciting player. He's not a kid. He's he's been around knocking around the non-league circuit. I think he he was at Hartlepool most recently. He's had the most dribbles or most successful dribbles in the division. 3.3. He's had three shots per game. Couple of really good assists. He's been making two and a half chances per game. This is this is one of the most exciting players in the division. He's a, he's a wide right player that could, that was used actually up top against Port Vale at the weekend. So yeah, it just goes to show. Look, he's, he's in mid twenties, come from non-league where he, he knocked around. All of a sudden, it's just kind of clicked for for Jim Toure and, and League Two defences are, are finding him. Quite hard to handle. I think I think he's one of the most fouled players in the division as well, which which doesn't wouldn't surprise any Carlisle fans, given how how much trickery he's got. So yeah, he, he's a name to look out for in the in the weeks ahead. Excellent. We'll keep our eyes peeled. Okay, time for some League Two odds with Paddy Power. We've been chatting with Dale Vince today. How optimistic should he be, according to Paddy Power? Do you know what? Forrest Green could be very optimistic here. Dale Vince has said he wants to to be in League One in three years' time. Well, according to Paddy Power, they are the fourth favourites to win League Two. They are nine to one at the moment. Salford City are nine to two, although I expect that might change given the news today. And uh, Cheltenham five to one, and Exeter third favourites seventeen to two. So Forest Green Rovers to win League Two, nine to one. And a reminder of the most probable promotion candidates too, please. Interestingly, there is a bit of difference between promotion and uh, winners here. Salford City still the most likely to be promoted 11 to 10. Again, I expect we'll see some movement with that as the news of Graham Alexander's sacking ripples through. Uh, but Cheltenham are the second favourites, 13 to 10. And there they are again, Forest Green Rovers, 2 to 1 to be promoted, as are Exeter, 2 to 1. And Tranmere Rovers are 11 to 4. <laughs> That's just about it for this week's show. Before we go, in honour of Fleetwood playing the theme tune to Captain Pugwash when they score a goal, I'd like your ideal goal-scoring celebration music, please. Faye, you've just slid one in in the last minute for Luton to beat Watford at Kenilworth Road. What what are we playing? (laughs) Oh, it's bring me sunshine every time. Of course it is. But did you know, when I was looking up like old goal music and stuff, did you know that in the 90s, Norwich City used to use Ocean Colour Scene's Riverboat song whenever they won a corner? <laughs> Why? So unnecessary. But the only other side, I so Lincoln. When I used to be on the gantry at, at Lincoln, uh, the guy had one of those wind-up um, siren mm. makers every time they had a oh, corner. Yeah. But it was literally right next to me on the gantry, so I could never hear Jeff Stelling throw to me. If he'd started that, it's like there's a corner, but I can't hear, and I'd just be standing there gormlessly waiting to talk because I couldn't hear anything. But anyway, <laughs> Sam, if there'd uh, if there'd been music when you plundered that equaliser for Northampton in the derby against Peterborough, what would you have chosen? Well, the best football song is "Glad All Over," so I would have liked to have played for Palace purely for that. I love that, um, and I would I don't know I love Vanilla Ice 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 Baby is the best song ever. <laughs> But I'd, pro- I'd probably go for <laughs> sentimental reasons. I'd probably go for Come On Eileen, the fast bit. <laughs> Reason being, I did a dance as a, as a babe, probably a toddler, uh, to that song. And whenever we have a family party, Christmas, a night out, anything basically, all my mates know about it as well. I've got to do the dance. So I've got the dance. 
It's fast. It's obscure. Perfect for me. <laughs> Next time it happens, make sure someone films it. We'll put it on the at the Totally Show Twitter handle. Uh, Adrian, what are you picking? Uh, it's uh, Fire by Kasabian. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's a tune that's, that's well suited to, to a goal celebration. So that's primary reason. But also, it just takes me back to, to my 1998 South End United Christmas party anecdotes where I was chatting to Simon Livett and he said, Clarky, you're on fire. And I was like, I know, I'm playing really well at the moment. I can't believe I'm not in the team. And he said, no, no you actually are on fire. Uh, it was my Quasimodo fancy dress costume. Uh, the hump had, um, had accidentally brushed on a cigar and I was actually on fire. So, yeah, <laughs> I, just thought was, <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was worth paying tribute to that comedy moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mine, of course, would be Dancing Queen. Um, Faye, thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll speak again soon. Sam, Adrian, back on duty next week. At Tips 2 to producer Abby. And of course, you, dear listener. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Before that, join Ali and George for the Totally Football League show Extra Time on Thursday. From all of us here, though, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. Muddy Knees Media.